Welcome to the Top Nonprofits Podcast. We know that you're working hard to stay on top of the latest best practices to help your organization deliver on its mission. And this podcast is here to make that a little easier. Twice a month, your host, Amy DeVita, interviews a nonprofit expert on topics ranging from fundraising to volunteer recruitment and a little of everything in between to give all our friends an opportunity to learn from the best nonprofit leaders and organizations out there. Welcome to 2020. It's a new year and we have some new podcast episodes for you. The very first pod of the year features Katie McDonald of Katie McDonald Creative. Katie is a consultant who helps both nonprofit and for-profit organizations with their marketing and content creation. She's talking today about email marketing. It's something we all use in a variety of ways, and she's going to provide us with some useful tips on everything from, you know, those first impressions, the strategy, and the content itself. So take a listen, and thanks for joining us. Katie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Who else would I have as our very first guest than probably the very first blogger who's ever worked, you know, with us at Top Nonprofits? So it's, <laughs> it was perfect. Um, it was meant to be. It's been some time. It's been some time. Katie goes, she's been with Top Nonprofits and has contributed, oh gosh, great content for us over the years. And she's really, if you've ever met her at a conference or seen her speak, you know what a wonderful and really friendly and knowledgeable person she is. So I'm really happy to have you here today. Thank you. Blushing. (laughs) Okay. We're going to talk about email marketing. And Katie has done some great work. She's always going to new conferences to learn, you know, the latest best practices. And that's what she's going to be sharing some of that with us today. And again, these are tips that you can hopefully put into, you know, put into practice at your organization as soon as tomorrow or next week. So we're going to talk about email marketing. And Katie has some great updates on best practices and really going to talk about, you know, creating the type of content, you know, what is it that you're going to say, talking about how you make it readable and really how to develop a creative strategy for your communications. We're also going to learn more about the importance of a regularity and cadence. Is that important? Isn't it? Katie's here to tell us. So um, let's get started with the first part, Katie. What is the very first step in your process for an organization whenever you're talking about email? Sure. So it really doesn't matter if you are marketing, if you are communicating, if you are just shooting an email off to a potential contact, a potential donor, anything. The first question that you really have to ask yourself, and this sounds so silly to say aloud, but do you actually have anything to say? Um, Right. So it's like, you know, it's kind of a, it's not rocket science, right? But I think sometimes when you are in a nonprofit or a for-profit space where you may wear multiple hats, 
you aren't really thinking through those simple things. You're just kind of on autopilot and trying to, to get going. So, you know, the thing that I always like to push back onto my, my founder and creative director at the nonprofit that I work at right now is, you know, we want to communicate, of course, because we want to stay in contact with our donors and our members. But do we have anything that we want to say or need to say to our audience? So we get Really, I think a lot of organizations get really wrapped up in needing a time and a cadence for communications and an outreach to their their donors or outreach to their potential donors. But at the end of the day, if your content is boring slash forced, it's just it's really not going to do anything to to help you. So with the organization that I work with now, we have a few different types of communications that we always do. And it's something that is not only expected by our audience, but it's something that we are constantly thinking about as we're going about our daily work. So the first one is that we have two membership uh, communications. So we have a membership right now, a little over 500 adults, all different shapes, sizes, personalities, technological, technological skill sets, etc, etc. And we make sure, especially for that group, that there is some, some regular cadence with their communication. So we do one on Monday night from the founder that is post, post gathering, post rehearsal, we're an arts organization. It's kind of a reflection on the rehearsal that just happened and also has that motivational element to it, which is, has become very important to the members of the organization. And then we do a more informative piece, always comes to their inboxes at noon on Fridays. And it has the important, the important information that they need for the following week. So you know, I think in, in any organization, we tend to over-communicate a lot of things. So sometimes if something important is three weeks out um, that the members need to pay attention to, um, we will communicate that in advance and then keep pounding it out through <laughs> all of the other communications until it's ready to go. If I could okay. just ask a quick question. So it sounds like your organization has two specific communication outreaches that you do on a weekly basis. Is there ever an exception to those or is there ever a time where, um, I mean, I guess, unless you didn't have a a rehearsal, but otherwise, are there ever any exceptions where you don't do those? We, when we don't do those is when we are kind of in our off season. And sometimes we still if we have to communicate to that group of people in, you know, the, the part of the off season, we will still send it at noon on a Friday because it's just a habit that mm-hmm. we've created with this audience. And it's something that they, that they expect at that time. So even when we're out of season, they're probably looking at their email just by habit, especially if they've been yeah. in the organization for a while, they're looking at their email at noon or shortly after whenever they can. 
Okay. So that, so that's it. You've set that expectation for them and you know that they're going to be looking and if, and if it's not there, they're going to call you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Um, and like I said, you know, it's, it's really important for us. Like if we don't have anything to say, we will basically just, you know, put something out there. They have their, their site that they go on to access the rehearsal tracks. So if we don't have anything coming up and we have nothing to say about the upcoming week, we will send an email that just has the links to their rehearsal tracks. Um, mm-hmm. because that's something that they need every single week, regardless of what's happening the next week, the next week. So it's a very important communication to them and it works out very well for us. That's cool. It sounds like you, that's something that you all have planned out and it works well for you. So if you're, you have other information to share, do you do uh, any other type, what other type of email do you do for your organization? Yeah. So we do, of course, have off cadence communications that we do for the membership. You know, it's, it really has to do with events. Um, We have an expected cadence of so many days before something happening. So if we have a change in rehearsal time or change in rehearsal location, we will communicate that three times within the week of it happening or within the days that have happened. So if we find out on Thursday that the rehearsal on Monday has changed to a new location, we'll communicate it on Thursday, we'll communicate it on Friday, we'll communicate it on Sunday, and then sometimes we will communicate it that Monday morning. So it's really just about expectation management with your audience. Um, The other thing that we do for our greater audience is we do a monthly newsletter. And I think every organization does a monthly newsletter, but we've been super strategic about what it is that we include in that monthly newsletter. And to be honest with you, we made the decision that we were never, ever, ever going to place an ask in that monthly newsletter of our donors. Never. Hmm. Don't put an ask in there ever. Because we have so many different campaigns that, that come throughout the seasons and throughout the year. That if we didn't, if we did a monthly ask, they would tend to turn their attention away. And that's not something that we want to do. So we genuinely use that monthly newsletter as something to just keep them updated on what is going on in the organization. It's a reflective piece. So most of the time, it is content that has happened in that month. We send it out on the last day of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And people, we get incredible open rates with it because it's something that they have come to know is is coming and that the content that's in it is something that they enjoy. So it could be videos that we've recorded. Lately, it's been a lot of news coverage. So it's articles, it's, you know, it's, it's segments on our television, our broadcast news here. And it's photographs from our events. It's notifying about upcoming events that they can be involved in if they'd like. So it's been really good after, you know, over the last year to just see the, the analytics and the engagement that our monthly newsletter has gotten. And so I think, you know, I think as I go back to the original piece of just actually having anything to say. If you don't ask yourself that question, your audience is going to do 
one of these three things, at least in our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our audience and I, and I go back to our membership audience because I think it's, it's important. It's a great example. The first thing that they'll do if we just fired off communications whenever we wanted is that they will begin to ignore our communications. That's the same thing with the monthly newsletter if there's not a cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, so that creates the habit of ignoring our communications and just letting themselves glaze over. Because if we're, if we're sending things that really don't matter and we don't really have something to say, who, who cares? No one's going to open that after a while. The other thing that they'll do if we don't have clear information and a clear purpose for that communication is that they will likely respond to the email with questions, which uh, can be a beautiful thing because it's a, it shows engagement. But at the same time, if you have left some very important detail, i.e. a date, a time, uh, a place out of an email, or you don't have those things secured yet, people are going to ask questions and it's going to be a lot. You know, it's going to be mm-hmm. half, of your, half of your list that's engaged is going to go, well, what the heck is this? Um, what is, I, I want to be involved with this, but I have no idea how to get involved. So that sounds like potential for, yeah. Overload. Exactly. <laughs> Um, the other thing, the last thing that they do is they will call. <laughs> so calls, as everyone who's ever worked in an office knows, can be very distracting. You're in the middle of something and people call and you completely lose your train of thought. They might be angry. They might have an emotional response. And it's just really difficult to manage calls if you could have just been a little forward thinking about your communication and avoided it. So. Email yeah, is super powerful, and you should not waste that power if you have nothing to say. It's it's so interesting how you know emails have become. I mean, they've been around for so long, and they're such a great, powerful tool. Conversely, as you're bringing to light, of course, if if it's that powerful tool is not used properly, it just becomes a bunch of stuff filling up people's inboxes. Um, And as you mentioned, you know, just sort of creating that habit of ignoring, which nobody out there wants to do. That being said, and you mentioned something about open rates, can you share a little bit more about how you can use your open rate information to guide your strategy Yeah, so there is the element of A and B testing, right? So when you are looking at an open rate, a really good way to do, and we can definitely follow up with the A and B testing because I think examples are incredibly important. But you know, if you're if you're trying to up your your open rate, you have to kind of think about those little tiny tweaks that you can make that you have control over what someone's gonna see when it comes through your email. So you know, I think that sort of also segues into the second question that you should ask yourself when you're when you're writing an email or you're getting something ready to go is, would you actually read this? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think one of my favorite statistics, and honestly, uh, this is from last year, so it could be very out of date, but one of my favorite statistics to share with people is that those, the average smartphone equipped human being 
scrolls the height of the Statue of Liberty each day on their phones. And for those who don't know, Lady Libs is 305 feet tall. So if you have a smartphone, your thumb is moving 305 feet every single day, uh, which is crazy. And so, you know, you think about as a consumer, because a lot of times marketers get into a space where they think that their information is the most important thing that's going to hit that inbox every single day. When the fact of the matter is you are getting bombarded with coupons from retailers, really important sales going on. Your bank uh, is emailing you about some new program or some new rate or something like that. You have your friends who might email you. You have bosses and colleagues and parents and family members, as well as calendar invites and all of these different things that are both personal mm -hmm. um, as well as just your consumer emails. Um, and so you kind of have to have, you kind of have to have in your mind, I, I, I love saying this is kind of my catchphrase right now, um, that you want to be the quarter inch of content. And what does that mean? <laughs> Glad you asked. <laughs> For those, it's usually the quarter, the quarter inch is really the way that the space that an email shows up on oh. your, on your mail app. Gotcha. So, yeah. So that is one of the things that I like to say so that you think about people scrolling through their, you know, their 305 feet a day, and then mm -hmm. they stop on your quarter inch of content and they click on it and they, they open it and they engage with it. So that has a lot to do with the sender, has a lot to do with the subject line. It has a lot to do with personalization. It has a lot to do with their loyalty and their level of giving a crap uh, mm -hmm. about your organization and what you have to say. And that all has to do with your past credibility. You know, if you're sending, again, it goes back to the first question. If you're sending crap, my, you know, the communications world, you always hear garbage in, garbage out. So it's kind of one of those things where if you put garbage into your email, mm -hmm. um, it's going to be garbage and no one wants to read or spend time on garbage. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really important. Again, you definitely want to make sure that you are paying attention to your sender. I think that we, you know, in our, in our organization, we typically send it out from the organization because we find that the only, the only name that works is our founders. And then people tend to think that they're communicating directly with him when they respond or when they engage. And it just kind of becomes a, a kind of a mess. So, but they, but what happens also is that we think about, you know, if you're getting a, if you're getting a fundraising email and that's coming from the develop, the development director, does anyone actually know who your development director is in your organization? So would they, would they recognize that name? Because most of the time people, it's like a, it's like when you get some random robocall on your phone from some number that you don't have in your phone, you're like, yeah, I'm probably not going to answer that. So it's the same with emails, I think. Mm -hmm. Is there one thing that everyone can start employing tomorrow that would help to personalize their subject line? Sure. So there are those tools in the in your email clients where you can 
code the subject line basically to say someone's first name. Now, I I feel like that's a trend that's sort of going out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because everyone's doing it. Okay. You know what I mean? So, uh, you, I mean, people who are smart consumers know that, that it's something that you can just do with an email system. It's right. not that I know that like, because there's a lot of things. Where most organizations, especially nonprofits and smaller organizations, are not really scrubbing their mail lists because there just might be too many. My biggest thing, and I think about this all the time when I'm looking at my emails, is... I, I try to read my subject lines when I'm when I'm getting going. I try to read my subject lines out loud. And so, you know, the question is, the, the question to ask yourself there is, does it actually sound like something that someone would say? Or is it some cheesy, you know, some cheesy line? Does it give a good indicator of what's inside? Which goes, I mean, all these things are connected, right? Which is give your communication purpose. And so if there's no purpose, your subject line is probably going to be really difficult to come up with. And so, you know, the other thing that you have with a marketing, uh, an email marketing platform is the opportunity to put preview text in. Um, and that is a big miss for a lot of people because if you don't, the, if you don't put the preview text in, if you look in your phone right now, there are tons of, tons of places that don't. And it'll say like click to view or view in a browser or something like that is the, as the preview text, mm-hmm. you know, that's a big miss. That's, that's, you know, it's a, it's one of the things that someone is definitely going to see if they're scrolling through their email. So if you don't, if you skimp on that, mm-hmm. that's a big missed opportunity. Um, yeah. We see that so many times, yes. I mean, so many times that and name, first name, I guess somebody tries to, you know, use the, the merge and use a first name within the, the subject line. And there was no first name. So it's just a box that says first name, which is. I'll I'll share like a really quick anecdote. Go ahead. Um, So I, not so much anymore, but I used to use the Domino's pizza app to order pizza. And so, and I know everyone on the East Coast is like, like, why would you do that? But um, they have a really good app. It's kind of like Starbucks where you're like, yeah, you're a really good app. Um, So I ordered there. Uh, But so they somehow only caught my last name. And when I was on their their email marketing list, it was just like, hey, McDonald. I was like, "Mm, am I in junior high playing basketball again? Like, (laughs) no, I know what you're doing. I know what you did. Uh, so unsubscribe, bye, never ordering from you again, which is not true because sometimes you just want to Domino's pizza, but, um, I'm in New Jersey. So no, you don't, <laughs> but go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. We have limited options here. And- okay. So it's, I love that, you know, take a look at your subject line and read it out loud. I like that. See if it sounds like something you would actually say. I mean, ultimately email communication is like making a phone call, but to a bunch of people at the same time, right? It's like, so it's, you've got to, it's walking that fine line between being generic and being personal. Right. So, okay. So I like the tip though, to read that out loud, see if it sounds like something you would actually say. 
you know, and I, I also really like that. Like, I think, think about using those, that preview text. It's a good way to get some, it's your second chance, right? You've got a subject line, which is your big shot to get someone's attention. And if you've got their attention, what are you going to do with it? Like the, the sub, the preview text gives you a great little space for call to action. You know, like why should they open it up? So even if they just look at your subject line and your preview text, they know what, what action they need to take within that email, what it's going to be about. So, and if it's interesting to them, they'll click through the last thing I'll say about subject lines. And this is just like a, like a totally technical thing is you should never use special characters in your subject line. Okay. Because mobile experiences do really, really weird things. So like special characters being percentage signs, um, Mm -hmm. percents, that kind of stuff. Um, it just kind of, I'm sure you've seen it before where it's just like, like that's the sound that I think it probably makes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, I, I, I just want to make sure I made that. Um, Well, what about emojis? I've seen emojis used in subject lines. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, so I think why I am very pro emoji in the email space because, um, it gives, it gives your, it gives your subject line a little more oomph. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is that I think about, you know, when I'm on an internal, uh, an internal email system, Outlook in particular, you can mark something as high priority. And, you know, you get that like exclamation point next to it when you're Mm -hmm. in the same email system. Now you can't do that with a Gmail account and you can't do that with, you know, with a MailChimp or some other email marketing thing. So what can you do? Use an emoji with two bright red exclamation points that is, that are in your subject line and people automatically see, oh, oh yeah. Okay. I need to look at that. It's very important. So that's why I'm pro emoji. I think that you have to be really careful about the emojis that you use. You know, you don't want a bunch of like smiley faces and things like that. It just kind of looks tacky. But if it makes sense to your subject, you should 100% insert them into a subject line. Okay. So don't be afraid of the emoji. Don't overuse it. Don't, you don't want your communication to look juvenile, but it's great. It could be a good tool. Use it, you know, with your own discretion, (laughs) if it makes sense. Okay, cool. To this point, you've talked and given us some tips on strategizing the communication, how to make great first impressions, and how to potentially, like, boost our open rates. So once they open it, then what? Can you give us some tips on really how to make the, the content shine? So this is for nonprofit and for-profit organizations of all kinds, whether it is an email or a social media post or a print advertising piece. One of the biggest mistakes that organizations make is bringing copywriting into the conversation last. So I really, anytime I've been with a client or an employer that has successful marketing, we really, we really had a all hands on deck at the beginning as soon as the campaign was birthed. You know, copy was definitely in tow and you, you can't create a campaign that is so complex that you don't know how to talk about it because that's just going to make you kind of go back to the drawing board. 
And campaigns tend to fall short because the content was crappy. So I, I really use a lot of, uh, I've had a, a longer career in, in copywriting for sure. And so I, no matter what I'm working on, whether it's a long form piece, short form piece, you know, a, a copy for a poster, copy for an ad, something like that. I have some pretty concrete ways to create that cut through content that doesn't, that doesn't allow your audience to click or tap their back button and instead helps them scroll down to the bottom of your, your information, um, the bottom of your, of your communication and tap on the, the link or your button. So the first thing you want to do is you just want to be direct. Uh, I think that though in authentic human interactions, you of course, are going to kind of beat around the bush about things. But I think in, in a marketing perspective and companies reaching out to you and trying to have a conversation with you, you, you don't, you kind of want to cut the crap. So if you're trying to be way too clever, way too passionate, way too persuasive, or just really way too wordy, your audience is just going to move on because they have a lot of things to read. They have a lot of things to do and they just don't have time. The, the next thing is that you just want to, you want to really focus on your audience journey. You want to make that path very clear in your campaign. So thinking about, okay, where do I, where do I want to take them slash where do I need to take them? How am I going to get them there? And am I going to give them multiple ways to get there? Any shortcuts? Uh, you know, when you're doing your A, A and B testing, one of the things you could test, the one variable you could test is, do they actually respond to shortcuts? So if you put the button at the top of the email, as well as the bottom of the email, are you, are you seeing that people are clicking on that top button or are they not? And they're still scrolling down to the bottom. So, you know, thinking about, do they, do they like taking the long way? The last thing, and this is probably the one thing that you won't be able to necessarily do tomorrow, but that is just making the action simple. So if you have a good relationship with your user experience consultant, or you have the ability to be the user experience expert in your organization, you need to think about what happens when they take that action? So if you're asking them to register for an event and you have a button at the, the top and bottom of the email and they click on that button, <laughs> do they get to a website? I had a situation where there was a register for the event and then the organization had very clearly created an email that, that was also their landing page. And so I got onto, I clicked the button in the email, then got onto the landing page and had to click another button to then register. And I had to then download, fill in using my Adobe forms, which luckily I had, what? and then send it back. Um, it was really difficult oh. to want to register. And I mean, honestly, the only reason that I kept going is because it was, it was an event for 
a client of mine. <laughs> and I did not have the space to, to make those UX decisions or influence. I did, of course, as a consultant say, hey, you guys got to fix this. This is too much. We are really particular about our donor forms mm-hmm. um, and making online donations because it, it's super difficult. There's a thousand fields that are required to be filled in. People are just going to kind of glaze over and say, you know, you're going to really, really, really have to feel passionately about making that $10 donation. They're not just going to do it. So I think from a user experience perspective and the journey, you want to make it. You want to simplify the steps down to the least amount of steps that you can possibly have to get the action completed. Yeah. So again, that's something that you probably would have to work with your consultant or your team to make that all happen. But it's definitely a conversation starter with your team when you're setting goals and you're setting, you know, you're setting expectations or you have some time to really sit back and think about how things could work a little bit better. It's a great thing to focus on because the payoff is going to be really, really, really good. <laughs> Definitely not, you know, it, it's not going to ever be bad if you do it correctly. So, yeah, given that example that you gave, I mean, I would think you might have been one of three people that showed up at that event because right. I can't imagine what percentage drop off they had to have after all of those hurdles. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big challenges we always find is you want to collect as much information, you know, you want to have, or you think you want all these data points. You don't even really know which ones you need, but you just think you need to collect all this information, have all these fields filled out. And that with each additional field, you're losing people that would complete the process. So do you have any suggestions or best practices in terms of like, you know, would you, what, what are the minimal, I guess, what would be the fields that you would stick to and maybe grow it after, you know, after you have the people on the list for a while or something like that? Yeah, I think that is, I think that's a great, I think that's a great question because as you said, people want to collect as much information to build that donor, that donor profile and understand how to market to them better, but it isn't something that just happens overnight and you shouldn't have that mentality. I know a lot of organizations, because our organization right now are trying to get more into the grant space. So I know that organizations that are funded a lot by grants, there's so much information that you have to collect, unfortunately, to be able to prove your case to those, you know, the, the grant funders. But I think that there is a very tactical way to do that. And it's, it's exactly like you said, Amy, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you get their information and you get them on your mailing list and you get them into your network. And then you really take some time to get them, to get to know them that way, whether it's, you know, a survey or an event registration, or even just getting them to like, you know, like you on Facebook, where you have this, this space to really analyze, you know, in your, in your business pages to be able to analyze your audience and see, you know, these are the people that we have. These are their demographics. This is the, these are the other interests that they have. This is where they live. This is, 
marketing. I, I think as a marketer, sometimes it's really creepy to, you know, as a marketer that turns into a consumer in other places, it's really creepy to think about all the information that we can collect. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a marketer, it's great. Right. But I think that collecting all that information, you have more likelihood of completely turning them off and completely making them want to abandon your process of whether they're donating or they're registering for an event, then you do having the opportunity to connect with them and gather their information in small, in small chunks throughout their experience. Using, using your example earlier about reading the subject line out loud and seeing if it sounds like something you would say in real life, Kind of the same thing. Like if you just met somebody on the street and you would you or you meet somebody at a networking event, I mean, do you ask them for their address and the name of their firstborn and what other organizations they support and blah blah blah? I mean, or do you just say, Hi, I'm Amy from Top Nonprofits. What's your name? <laughs> you know, like right. Right. and then you you develop a rapport. Yes. That's exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's just so important to not be super creepy and awkward when you are trying to collect, you, you can creep like on the back end, but you should not be openly creepy, if you will, as a marketer. Of course. (laughs) Okay. Um, that's, that's so true. Okay. Sorry. I dug it. I didn't have anything else to say. (laughs) Um, Katie, thanks so much. I mean, this has been really helpful. I thought, um, I hope the folks listening to the pod out there feel the same way. We went over, you, you gave us tips on how to strategize, how to make great first impressions, how to really, um, hone in on the, on the copywriting side and, I think we can put those all into practice. I mean, some of them sooner than later. um, And some might take a little while, but everything takes some time if it's worth doing and doing right. So with that, before we go, and let me just ask you, Katie, any other advice that you'd like to, you know, what kind of advice would you like to leave us on? Yes, just a very important, what is it, the the mantra that we can go on. So the first thing is be the quarter inch. If you take anything Mm -hmm. from this this podcast, just remember to be the quarter inch. Strive to be that quarter inch. The other thing really is that when you're thinking about building and executing your email marketing strategy, you have to think about which angle is going to be the most relevant and urgent and important to your audience, but also think about how you can articulate and build a conversation uh, with your audience through your email marketing. You're not just talking at them, you're talking with them. So that's what I have to say on that. That thank you so much, um, Katie. If folks have questions or want to follow you, what's the best way to? I mean, you know, not stalk you, but you know, follow <laughs> you. <laughs> what uh, do you want to share? Some um, handles. Sure. So the first thing is if you if you have any questions or just want to have a conversation, I. I'm happy to engage with you via email. Huh? Surprise, surprise. Uh, you can reach me at info at katiemcdonald.com and it is K-A-D-I 
mcdonald.com. And uh, my Twitter is at Katie McDonald OU, but I tend to post a wide variety of content on my Twitter, if you will. <laughs> so uh, follow at your own risk. But I, I definitely always have always have some things to say in multiple different spaces. So that's uh, that's it. You can also visit my website. It's katiemcdonald.com. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And I can vouch. I mean, Katie has taken over our Twitter account for events. So she's been the, she's been the thumbs behind the, the tweets um, mm -hmm. at many an event in the sect, in this world. And, it's just, it's always really good stuff. So thanks, Katie. You're, you're so good at that. Huh? Are you blushing again? <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us. Hope you get something good out of this and definitely check us out. We'll go to topnonprofits.com anytime, get some, some more free resources to help you with what you're doing in the nonprofit world and stay tuned. We'll have more podcast episodes coming up soon. That's it for today, friends. See you soon. In the meantime, check out all the great resources we offer at topnonprofits.com.